Welcome, everybody. This is the U.S. Grace Force Podcast. I'm Doug Berry, along with my always very good friend, Father Richard Heilman. And tonight, returning from the bullpen, our, one of our favorite returning guests, Dr. Professor All-Knowing, David Gray is with us tonight. One of, he is the favorite He is guest. the David yeah. Gray. The crowd is yeah. going wild right now. <laughs> All right, we're going to be talking about the Holy Eucharist, especially... Ooh, what happened? Kind of cringeworthy what happened over in uh, Lisbon during World Youth Day. We're going to address that and break this down a little bit and just try to help elevate the truth and the beauty of reverence, especially for our blessed Lord in the Holy Eucharist. But everything begins with prayer. And Father Heilman, we always leave that to you. All right. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Thank you, everybody. We appreciate everybody who supports the U.S. Grace Force podcast. You know, I always start off the podcast thanking you for your prayers and your encouragements, your comments. And I really do sincerely mean that, Father and I. This is our fourth anniversary, and we're recording on our fourth anniversary of the U.S. Grace Force podcast. Your help has been amazing in getting this out and meeting great people like our friend tonight, David Gray, and so many other great guests has been really an honor for Father and myself to work with all these great people in evangelizing the Catholic faith. Your prayers mean everything. Your sharing, liking, subscribing, all of that means everything to people like us and David to his YouTube channel and his work as well. This is how we continue to get that word out by a lot of it is by your prayers, your support, your help. And for those of you who would like to help us through the Patreon program, know that that is also a very critical piece. You can click the link in the description below, go on out. We ask you to pray about it. And if you can support us financially with some money through Patreon, that is a tremendous way to help us continue to keep the lights on, pay the bills, you know, as Mother Angelica used to say about EWTN, just kind of put us between the gas and the electric bill. You know, just that little shot in the arm from enough people allows us to really get the word out. And as the cancel culture continues, a message like this is not so favorable to many people out there. Though I do believe that you watching, listening right now, and many others out there, you wouldn't be here if you didn't have something in your heart that said, yeah, you know what, this is an important message to get out, what the Grace Force is trying to do. But in particular, even this one tonight, which is why we brought our friend, one of our favorite returning guests, back on. And he's coming to us from the country of Germany. So it's middle of the night for him right now. So technically, it's the Feast of the Assumption for you because you're on the 15th of August right now. We're still on the 14th. So we're kind of crossing international date lines and all. Very exciting to know we can do this for the gospel. But David, good to have you back on, my friend. I'm excited to be back. Always a pleasure to be here at Grace Force and on, on the feast of Max and Colby and on yeah. the solemnity of the Assumption of Blessed Mother Mary. So it's a wonderful Maximilian Colby and is our patron. Yeah. He's the patron of the Grace Force. Yeah. yeah. Wow. But you know, you bring up a good point because of technology. We're recording this on two very important days, Maximilian Colby and uh, the, 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 the Blessed Mother's uh, Holy Day uh, of the Assumption. This is. This is really this is really kind of monumental that we can even do this, Father. Having a guest yeah, like David on, and we're like starting. This. this is day one of the fifty-four day novena for our nation, the Rosary right. novena. So go to usgraceforce.com and you can get all the information about that if you yeah you're not aware of that. Yeah, yeah, excellent, excellent. A lot of stuff we wanted to get to tonight, David. And of course, we were trying to come up with with a title that would uh, kind of wake people up and help people 
you know, recognize the importance of an episode like this. And I think a lot of people who have been paying attention realize that something happened during World Youth Day. Well, several things have been reported and I don't like to get into and Father and I try to be very careful about talking about things that could be mis it could be misleading or they could be unverifiable. But I, I think what we're talking about here is very verifiable because there are pictures showing um, and here they're up on the screen right now, but we've got these boxes that it's, uh, you, you've got candles on each side here. So we're assuming that this is, and what has been shown and the kids here kneeling in front, that this is an, an adoration tent and that the blessed sacrament is being kept in these gray boxes. Um, definitely not, and I'm not trying to be facetious here, but definitely not what we would think of as reverence for the most blessed sacrament. You know, I think most of us are very used to we should be very used to the idea that the blessed sacrament would be exposed for adoration in a monstrance or at the very least in a, a beautiful chalice of some sort, you know, with again, reverential candles and such placed around it in, in a beautiful way to really elevate the atmosphere. Um, but, you know, David, if you could address your thoughts on what happened here and obviously, you know, I haven't interviewed anybody. And I don't think you have either who, you know, was behind any of this, but, You've got young adults, kids, whatever, kneeling here in front of this and the reports that this was at least one of the ways that they were setting up adoration. Where do you see danger in this? Where do you see the concern for this being the way that Jesus is portrayed in a situation like this, especially for young people? Uh, you know, we're trying to form minds and hearts, and this is a scary way to form them if this is an idea of what some people think reverence is. Your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I think there's like a few things there, Doug and Father. I think first is just the practical, technical issue of just what what happened in regards to people. The world youth they had five, seven years to prepare for this, and this is what happened. That, despite the fact that we had time to prepare to. Uh, present Jesus Christ reverently at all the different stations and all the different tents for whatever reasons. We came up with plastic, big bowls, things you could buy at Walmart, these big cases and these and these plates. And so we could, you know, we could question the attention of who who brought these things, who thought this was a good idea. But I think the bottom line is that we had time to prepare and we didn't prepare well. Mm. And I think that says a lot about um, the tension, the, the interest that people have in being reverent towards our Lord. We have to wonder that, why does someone think this is okay? And why didn't we take the time to prepare to present Jesus Christ reverently at all the different stations now? In our parish here in, in Germany, we had people go to World Youth Day. When they came back, they did a debriefing. You know, I asked them about things like this, and they said they didn't see anything like this. But then, then, but the point was made that there's different contingents. You know, there's different countries there at World Youth Day, sure. and so I think um, the the group that that had the place that you've shown, I think they were somewhere from South America. So mm. each country was responsible for their own type of celebrations, their own masses. So from at least from hearing, the Americans didn't. Um, except from having, you know, Father James Martin there, um, we, we didn't have a we 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 didn't come with um, some of the problems that we saw. For what I'm hearing, 
And so I think that's just the, the one issue. Like we didn't take time to be reverent, even though we had time to prepare. So that, that's a big issue there. But the other issue is just, um, it goes into the issue, I think, of reverence itself, Father and Doug. And I think the key to being reverent is that we have to take the time. Reverence and time are connected. And the thing about time, sometimes we think time belongs to us. We say, oh, I, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for that. Oh, I'm in a rush. But the most important thing about time to realize is that time belongs to God. God who is without time, time God who is outside of time and space has given us the gift of time to live within the time, to order ourselves to him. And so sometimes we, we take this time that is a gift. I mean, imagine that, I mean, just think how beautiful it is that God gave us, we, we didn't choose to be born. And if we die naturally, we don't choose to the time to die. So time itself from the beginning of our life to the end of our life belongs to God. And what happens in, in between is the time he's given us to learn how to love him. So what do we do at that time? Um, the most important thing we, we can do is to uh, offer him our time in every way. And when it comes to reverence, we should make the time. We, we should make the time to um, adore him, to be reverent to him, to worship him. And so what we see what happened at World Youth Day is that that just didn't happen. We chose not to make time for God who created us just for this time. So th that's a couple of thoughts I have on it. Just the, the practical thing, like we had seven years to prepare for this. And the other thing is like, why didn't we make time to do it right? Mm, yeah. You know what I use for an analogy to try to help us all understand reverence? It, one of the most stirring scenes for me, and people, if you haven't seen this, Google it, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Mm. And, and you see that guard or guards, and they're they're just so uh, uniform, and they're moving slowly. And, of course, their uniform is just perfect. And every movement is synchronized. And why? Well, because they're revering that hero, you know, and, and, and saying thank you. And so you deserve this level of respect or reverence. Mm -hmm. I also use anybody who's been to a uh, graveside service of a fallen soldier and see the honor guard. And, the, and again, their precise moves and coordinated and synchronized. And again, their uniforms and it's done slowly. I mean, it's just, it takes your breath away. And, and you are, uh, you are made by that to understand that this soldier selflessly served. You're over there right now in Germany, David, because your wife, said yes to serving overseas like that, the sacrifices that soldiers make. But to me, that's 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 the analogy, I think, that best helps us understand. You know, what if you're at a graveside service and the uh, the soldiers just kind of bound out of the car and they're wearing shorts and flip-flops and a T-shirt and they grab the flag and throw it in a ball and toss it over to the, you know, to, 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 to the family of the fallen soldier, of course they wouldn't do that. Of course they wouldn't do that. What they want to do is emphasize just how 
how grateful they are and how this hero deserves that level of respect and honor uh, in a graveside ser service like that. Yeah, Two you know, Father, also, I, I, yeah, go ahead, jump, in, jump in real quick on this before David responds. When when you watch, and if somebody hasn't done this, look at a video of the way they take the flag off of a casket right. and how they fold the flag before they present it to the family. Right. Just even the process of removing the flag from the covering of the casket, right. uh, how they fold it and present it because it represents what the soldier gave the life for. Right. That that sort of thing, I agree with you, Father, is it's 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 simply powerful and it does touch the core of who we are. And and I think anybody with a with a well-formed mind, well-formed conscience can understand, um, no matter what age, that 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 just makes sense. It makes sense to have that kind of reverence. Yeah, and when you want to revere our Lord, okay, and you see what the Eucharist was held in, what what kind of containers were there? Tupperware? That's what they look like big gray plastic containers. You yeah, know, look at the picture here again, and it, it almost feels like okay, you know, shorts, t-shirts, flip-flops, and and crumble up the flag. I mean, it, it just you you cringe. No, yeah. no, that's God. You can't do that, right? No, no shorts, t-shirts, flip-flops at the graveside service. That's a fallen hero, right? So reverence is not only do God, but I believe reverence helps us understand that is God. You know, because if you're going to do that for a fallen soldier, what they do, it's it's so amazing. You're going to do it for sure for God or, you know, a million times more mm -hmm. if you're able to, uh, that kind of reverence for God. And I think people just miss that. You know, I, I think we're living in a, a period of time in history where we've lost reverence for our fellow man. I mean, just what people wear to work and then you know <laughs> and the church um it just it, you, they used to you look at those great old old um, pictures like from the 1920s and the guys are wearing their their top hats and they got a cane and they got you know what i mean and all they're doing is going over to buy a loaf of bread at the store you know so, but to me it's like uh, i revere everybody and so i i I, I want to do that for my fellow man. I, I don't know. David, what do you think, you know, about the time we're living in right now? Doesn't it feel like this is kind of an irreverent point in history? I think it is because I, th I think we, we just don't know what's important anymore. Yeah. And I think the mass communicates this. Well, I mean, this at least the demonstration we're talking about now, some of the irreverence that we see, mm -hmm. that we don't communicate what is important. And I think it goes back to your point. We know what's important when we see people take time and the tension and detail that they take to do things right. And it clearly sends a message. Oh, this this must be important. They're they're taking time yes. to do this. Yep. And I remember when I converted to Catholicism back in, what, 2006, uh, one of my first experience with the Mass, I think that January that year, was I went in, you know, I was still a, a Protestant, and I went into this 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 um, this chapel and just see what Catholics were doing, right? I, okay, what's this Catholic thing? And so my first experience was walking in, and people were, like, kneeling down. They were silent. They were 
reverence. I don't even think I was using that word back then, but now I know it. And so I just knew that this was a different type of space. Something was going on here that that wasn't going on in the Protestant church at all. The hoopla and, you know, not quiet at all, but people were kneeling. And I said, oh, this is, this space is different, right? Now I would use the word, you know, oh, this is sacred space. Like, I, but I wasn't thinking like that back then. Also, I would say that one of the most things that made me feel so good at the mass is when the priest, when father's doing the prayers of consecration and it comes to the point where he kneels after he, um, after the elevation mm. and he, whenever he, when, you know, priests are able to, whenever he kneels down and he's down there for a while, mm. not, not too long, you know, like 10 minutes or anything, but just he's kneeling for a while. Yeah. It's like a substantial a moment. Yeah, yeah. It, it says some, oh, there's something going on here. This is special. Mm -hmm. This is attention. This is detail versus when Father spends 40 minutes on a homily, but then, you know, he's trying to get us out an hour and he spends, you know, he rushes through the Eucharistic prayers real fast. So, right. so we're saying, oh, what's important is a homily. What's not important is the Eucharist. So mm -hmm. there's these, these things we communicate that send signals that um, time isn't sacred. At least not for God. Yeah, I would say time and also in, in body language, posture. Um, like you, what you just described there about kneeling for a substantial moment or two when it comes to the consecration or the elevation. Um, just And I'm not judging any priests, but sometimes it's just up and down. And sometimes there's a slow movement. And then, of course, the bells. When the bells ring, there's a reason. It's to remind us, show us something is happening. There's a moment here. This transubstantiation is taking place. I liken that to, you know, a man who drops to one knee when he proposes to a woman, you know, he puts his body in a posture that says reverently, this woman means so much to me, I want to convey to you by my posture. And if it's not kneeling, maybe it's just a general extension of the hands with the ring. And there's a, there's almost a humble expression of the body, the way the, you know, you just kind of posture yourself that says you are valuable, you are important. I want to express, I want to express that right now. And, and I, you know, I really go back to even what, what you had said earlier, you know, David, about time. We invest time in things that matter to us, you know? And I just think that if we're not investing, you know, even time in prayer, um, I mean, and I think what happened at World Youth Day, and I know it, it sent a lot of people uh, on the internet, at least, different comments and such that you saw, people who were posting things into a real tizzy. And I get that. And I understand that. And I feel the same way at times. But I also want to always caution people that we, unless something can be verifiable, as we said at the beginning, and we don't want to address certain this and that because we just don't know for sure about this or that, but some things look pretty obvious. Um, and I think there was some also some preparation of um, like a, a DJing priest who was doing some pretty fancy stuff out there, which was, I think, concerning. Uh, I know people are going to have their debate and opinion on that. I don't think that's the necessary preparation before Mass. Um, I've, when I was with EWTN, I covered two world youth days, one under Pope Benedict, uh, in Spain. And, uh, and then one when Pope Francis, you know, uh, was, uh, you know, recently or the, the Pope in Rio de Janeiro, I was down there and I did not like some of the things that I saw. Everybody has to understand that it, that may not have been the blanket experience for everybody there, but the fact that it was for anybody, I think in, it was atrocious in my opinion. It just personally, unbelievable that we would put a couple of candles beside some what appear to be plastic containers 
holding what we're being told now is is the blessed sacrament. Um, and I think the time investment is key. And Father, could you talk just for a second, Father, and David, I'd love your comment as a former non-Catholic. And I love what you said about this space is different. It's sacred, sacred space. We do need to set space apart. Um, you know, they even, they, you know, David, you, you know, you've been married. How many years have you been married now, David? Um, seven. Seven years. Okay. And I've been married 33. And, and I'm sure even at seven, you know, that there are certain, certain places in the house where certain things shouldn't happen. Like never argue in the bedroom. That's like a, a marriage rule. Okay. Try not to argue in the bedroom. The bedroom is for, for, you know, loving your spouse and resting. It's not a place to have memories and association with arguments. The space should be sacred. Okay. For rest and for love and so forth. Um, when it comes to uh, the space of the room where you're trying to put your child down in the crib and put them to sleep at night, you're not going to play rap music and rock music. And I'm not going to be cranking up you know, welcome to the jungle by Guns N' Roses. If I'm in the space of trying to put my child down <laughs> when they're, well, at any age, but especially when they're an infant, um, the dining room table is a space that is set apart for meals and good, hopefully uplifting conversation. So in other words, we are a people that should recognize that space has its place. And, you know, this is, this is how we should treat it. So, David, I'd like your comment as well, but if, Father, if you could go first on, on exposing the Blessed Sacrament in a monstrance. As a priest, what that's like, what that means, why that's important to have the, all the, let's call it the bells and whistles that surround that moment um, from candles and a proper display of the altar and an elevation and so forth of the way the monstrance should be set up and such. And then, David, I'd love your comment on what it was like for you when you first saw or in that early stages of being exposed to Jesus in the monstrance specifically, but father, you first, if you could. Yeah. So the stories I've heard in my priesthood are countless of people who have had their conversion, maybe reversion uh, in front of the blessed sacrament that's being exposed in that beautiful golden monstrance. And, and, and then what happens? Well, first of all, that, a ritual of exposition and then benediction uh, that has not changed uh, hardly at all since Vatican II. It's one of the things that went unchanged. There's a great deal of reverence that's there, but again, there is our Lord in this beautiful golden monstrance. And what are we asked to do? To be quiet, to kneel, and to pray before what? I mean, it asks us to make a decision there. Either this is a cracker and it's a, you know, representation of God or it's God. And that's why I say I think a lot of people in that moment were forced to stop and really think about it. Really think about it. You know, and I always tell people, too, adoration can be done without a monstrance as long as the tabernacle's there because our Lord is present but there's something about bringing our Lord out, and then there he is, that that makes us think, uh, that makes us go deep in, in that moment. And uh, and, and, it, and it, it's stirring for a lot of people. That's why I think with this Eucharistic revival, what we're seeing right now, the biggest thing I think that's being uh, promoted during this time is adoration. Just heard Pope Francis 
saying how important adoration is and you'd like to see that going um but why because again you're kneeling you're stopping you're quiet you're made almost to make a decision right there and that's when things start happening when people have that conversion yeah that's powerful i mean yeah i never thought about it as making a decision right david what about you first time you were exposed to the exposition of jesus in a monstrance what was that what was that like and as that kind of grew on you i would say adoration first happened outside of a monstrance the because my first mass you know i couldn't receive holy communions for a long time so i became catholic so i'm just sitting there for almost a year mm. watching my first adoration with just father doing communion right elevating the host right and just adoring him that way and especially when father would take a little bit of time you know when he's when he just wasn't like this you know passing out um, wafers but when he's just you know this is the body of christ corpus christi and he'll elevate it you know just for a few seconds for, to allow us to adore it adore him um so that that was my first and then i realized that this isn't a what that i was experiencing at the prostate churches with this communion thing they, they do every first sunday with the grape juice and cracker that's more like a, a what what is this oh it's a cracker or some grape juice but what i was, what I was learning during those, those those years when i was in rca was that this is a who the whole eucharist is a who not a what and right. because it's a who we we treat him as a person and then when I finally experienced the monstrance, it, it was just more of that. This is why it's the monstrance is, is looks amazing, like everything, everything I ever saw before. Like, oh, that's what I saw in those movies. Like, oh, but this it's a who. This is why we treat him this way. So, and I think that goes back to your earlier point, Doug. And we're living in a society where we don't value the, the who. We don't value human dignity. We we just throw people away at different stages of the human life, especially in the womb. So yeah. if we're not getting that right, and if we're accepting that's normal, just to throw human beings away, then it, it makes sense in an unnatural, a normal way that if Jesus Christ, the, the who is the whole Eucharist, why we won't treat him as we ought in his space. Right. Yeah, I, I was thinking, uh, too, about, you know, the youth that were there that day and World Youth Day mm. and the opportunity for them too to be in awe before our Lord in the Holy Eucharist, and there were some moments in there I think when they did a nice procession with the vestments and and the um, and the incense. But I actually watched the night that they they brought the Eucharist out for adoration. Uh, I was I was watching it on television, and the whole time leading up to it was a, um, a choreographed uh, dance that was going on, and uh, it was nice, but it didn't seem to, at least in my estimation, it didn't seem to fit. And it didn't help us to elevate our game into that sense of reverence in that moment. Uh, now, maybe when the procession came right after that, and then all the dancers would be kind of like bowing or kneeling off to the side there. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't think so. Um how important it would have been to to have that moment where you know the awe and wonder was just filled with everybody in, in that place with the with the adoration happening at that time. I think it was uh, one could say at least difficult mm. for them to get to that place uh, when I when I was watching it. But doesn't um, this 
but I mean, Father David, doesn't this kind of show a general problem that we have, that we have all this kind of variation um, in in different places, and and there there's like the uniformity of, of of understanding reverence, the uniformity of being taught reverence. Um, when I say uniformity, I mean that the church would always present to us this sacred space, this beautiful gold monstrance or silver, something that illustrates a precious metal, an elevation. The music would be reverent. Churches traditionally for centuries were built in a way that, you know, Father, you've even talked about this, where you walk into some churches and you just automatically start lowering your voice because you just sense with the, with the artwork, with the stained glass windows, with with the way the church is built, it just architecturally says, shh, there's something sacred about this space. You know, the tabernacle is in the center of the church, and everything points to the truth of the tabernacle. And who, as you mentioned, David, so, I, I mean, so true, who is in the tabernacle, not what? And everything seemed to spin and revolve around that truth and that presence and and that's just been kind of uh, mixed and matched and kind of whatever you feel and whose interpretation of this and that. And now we actually have things like interpretive dance after Holy Communion in some churches. I was exposed to that for the first time 32 years ago. Walked into a church in, in, uh, in Florida and was blown away when I saw three women coming down after communion in leotards and veils. I had just spinning and twirling and... I had never seen anything like this in my life. And it definitely did not <laughs> cause me to go deeper. It caused me to go, what in, what in the world is happening here? It kind of threw me for a loop there. But I just think that what you just described, Father, kind of illustrates the, the, the situation that we're in. And I mean, David, I mean, as a theologian, I know you've studied uh, theology, and although you've got great comedy, and we're going to get to a piece that you have out now. Just the audience has got to stay with us. This Father Hell Nothing that you have, we're going <laughs> to... You got to get to, because I love using, I love that you use comedy to try to make the point on certain things. I think that's powerful. But you also, as a theologian, have looked into things such as the beauty of churches and reverence in churches. Why is it, in your opinion, either human nature, common sense, and or spiritual, that when we walk into certain churches, certain um, architecture, certain music elevates and does something to us inside? It's not even... It's not even just kind of what you want. It's like a horror movie when you play certain music at a scary scene. If you change that music and make it circus music, you know, it really changes the scene. If Freddy Krueger's chasing somebody down in a house in one of these ridiculous slasher movies, which I had never watched, but I'm familiar enough with the names of them, Friday the 13th, 1 through 87 or whatever it is now. And you've got some circus music. If that's playing in the background while Freddy Krueger or whoever it is is chasing somebody down, it changes the makeup of it. We're just not scared anymore. It, music affects us, in other words. David, from your study in theology, churches, reverence, music, space, why does, why does that affect us like that? I think it affected me a lot too, Doug, having been here, living here, living here for about seven months before I got a chance to come back home again. And so I was in Chicago for a conference and I got a chance after a conference to go worship, go to mass at St. John Cantus in, in Chicago. And having been over here in some of the German churches that they don't have the arts anymore, you know, they're kind of stripped down and on the military base, we just have a shared chapel. I didn't realize how much I missed 
the opportunity to worship in a sacred space. So I walk into St. John Conscious, and just immediately, I know that something has changed. This this space is other, and it's in it. And how I know this because I was created to know this. I think mm -hmm. that the same God who created me um, for this space has, at different times in our life, communicates to us that He is here with us. And what the Romanesque and the Gothic styles of the old cathedral, I think they communicated this better than what we see today. That God is completely other, whether it's the the high ceilings or the, the artwork, the, the tapestries, um, um, every, the, and, and I, I would say this, I think this gets to the point better than anything else, that the beautiful thing about the old churches is that they weren't abstract, right? So we always knew what was the most important thing. We knew where the detail was at. Yes, there was the art. There was the, the building itself. Yes, that was beautiful. But it was the altar mm, in, yeah. its, in its, how it was elevated and all the detail that went into it. And, and that's, that's where the priest was offering his worship. Now, I'm not going to get into this huge critique of, of Vatican II or anything like that, but I do just want to make this slight point that sometimes now how we worship, it seems to be abstract. We, we tend to sometimes have an abstract liturgy. What I mean by abstract is that we don't know what to focus on. Is it over here with the choir? Is it over here at the lectern? Is it is, is it somewhere else? Um, um, the Father sometimes facing us. Well, are, are we important? Um, and so sometimes we have to, so sometimes now we have to work a little bit harder, study the liturgy a little bit more to understand what's going on so that um, if we're in the abstract liturgy, um, so that doesn't affect us to having some abstract spiritual life. So abstract spiritual life is very harmful because we're living in our life where our in a way that we don't know what's important. We don't know how to orient our life. We don't know what direction to head in. So this is all impactful. It's psychological. It can affect us deeply. So um, so yes, the older churches, um, they communicate that message better. But even in our newer churches, what all this means is that we have to work a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. And again, when we see big plastic bowls, we see ceramic plates with um, saran wrap over them, plastic wrap over them. Are we working hard enough mm. to yeah. communicate the sacred? Yeah. I'd like your opinion on this because uh, I, I, I don't know for sure, but it sure seems like that reverence is seen by those who have control and power you know, over the liturgy uh, is seen seen as too much. So we better not be too reverent because it'll be too much for them. I don't know. I, I that's the only conclusion I can I can think of. So so tone it down, make it a little bit irreverent. Uh, you know, I don't know, David is is that what's going on? I mean, and I'll just say in my own experience, while I see that in places like we just saw with the World Youth Day. Um, when I when I have presented reverence to people, uh, what I saw instead was people. It's like an awakening. It's it's that awe and wonder we were talking about when people have those conversions that 
when they experience adoration that that instead it's a game changer for them and they enter in more deeply into their faith but it just seems like the the planners the organizers or whatever are, are saying no we, we we can't we can't be too reverent because that's too much it's, what do you think's going on there david why well, are they Father, choosing I appreciate to do that? how charitable you appreciate how charitable you are i, I thought you know <laughs> um, I think that's much. I, I think that's much better than saying, "Oh, we're just being lazy." I right? oh, was being lazy. Uh, we're not. We're not taking the time. So I appreciate that. I think that's really uh, charitable of you. Um, but I, I think that I think that is what, what's going on. We just don't want to take the time to do the right thing. Not just in this aspect of our life. I think if we look at the divorce rates, we, we look at um, things that's going on with some of our children. Uh, we we're just not taking the time to do the right thing because we I think we just become selfish. We think time belongs to us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and I agree, David. Father was really giving the benefit of the doubt there, very kindly. So <laughs> he's a really nice guy. Well, I don't know why, why wouldn't you want to be reverent? Well, maybe yeah. it's going to be overwhelming for people. I, I guess I don't know. Well, I, I do think that there's a push to make things more casual. For the sake right. of saying that it's going to reach more people if we just kind of make it more right. casual and lower the bar a little bit. Um, but I agree with you too, David, that I think some people are just like, well, this just takes time. It takes time if you want to plan a great uh, anniversary for, you know, the 50th anniversary of a couple or a 25th anniversary. It takes time to plan it, to do it right. And there are a lot of people that don't want to put time into things, you know, we'll, we'll put time into other things though. I mean, football season's right around the corner. Preseason games are going on in the NFL right now. College is right on the corner. So you got to get your three to six or even nine hours a day on Sunday, you know, to get your three hour oh, yeah. games. You got the, what'd you say, father? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if we, I wonder if we underestimate people too, because I think I hear what father is saying. Though. I think, I think with us, it may be some priests or whoever, you know, who, who's in charge of these things in, in the pairs. Maybe there is that fear in their mind. Like, oh, if I if I do, it, I got to go slow. This may be too much. I just think we underestimate people. And the reason why I say this, working mm -hmm. with, with children as, as a teacher, I think what I realized is that the more we put on children, sometimes academically, we're surprised what they can handle. We just don't challenge them enough. Yeah. Right. And so I wonder if that's just the wrong approach, maybe we should just put more on people rather than less. Well, and I, I would agree with that, especially considering we're talking about things that we're made for. Because mm. as you mentioned earlier, David, in the beginning of this episode, we, we're made for this. You're made for this reverence. You're made to give this devotion to God. Father, you may have said that too, is that we're, we're as a people, we're made to distinguish, you know, what's sacred and, and what isn't. And and I, I agree with that. We sell each other very short if we don't think we can put somebody in a position to have to embrace and process and wrap their head and, and their heart around something like this, this truth, when we're actually made for it. It's like we're made for, for hydration. Every single one of us is 75% water. It's not like you're going to say to somebody, well, we don't want to give you too much because, I mean, let's just give you a cup of water a day instead of the recommended half gallon to gallon a day because it might be no the body needs at least half gallon give or take you know depending on the person a day because the body everybody's 75 percent water roughly we're all made for holiness we're all made for the truth of god and we're all made to show reverence and respect and 
You know, I think something else that you had mentioned earlier, David, that maybe we can emphasize a bit more is we've lost a certain dignity towards the person and even towards ourselves. I, you know, look at the way a lot of us, you know, just the way we behave in general, our language, we've gotten lazy with language, um, looking at someone in the eyes when you speak to them respectfully, um, saying thank you and please, basic things that we normally were grown up with. Uh, a lot of this is is out the window in a lot of ways. You know, some teachers, you know, years ago stopped using red ink on papers to correct papers because it was, you know, too aggressive. The way we show dignity towards others and, and even towards ourselves, ultimately then, if we're not going to respect the human person that's right in front of us, how can we even think about so easily then respecting or understanding the dignity of Almighty God, who really is mysteriously coming to us in the form of bread and wine? And I think that's what the liturgy is trying to teach us through this repetition all of our lives, this Sunday obligation or the obligations during during the year. It's trying to teach us through rhythm and repetition what's important um, by standing and sitting and kneeling, this rhythm of, of teaching us to how to pay attention, how to be reverent, how to give due attention. And, um, and I think this can have an impact on our life if we learn how to live the liturgy. And if we give reverence, due reverence to Jesus Christ, the person during the Eucharist, I think that's going to um, uh, affect the rest of our lives. And I, I know that one one thing that I noticed that I was I was slipping in, in doing that I've corrected was my youngest daughter who who loves to talk to me, which is I think a blessing. She likes to talk to her dad, and she's like fourteen, like she still wants to come in my office or wherever I'm at and just talk, 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 talk about anything. And I noticed that sometimes when my, in my office, she comes in, I noticed that she's talking. I'm still looking at my, my computer. I'm like, yeah, I'm listening to her, but I'm giving half attention. Right. And what I learned to do was just to stop. How long is she going to be with me? What, four mm -hmm. more years, maybe? I, so I said, I'm going to stop whatever I'm doing because it's not, it's, whatever I'm doing is not as important as her. So I learned to stop and turn and face her and listen to her. And she stays longer. Um, you know, when I do that, I, I notice, but that's fine, right? Because yeah. that's what's important. So it's the same way we have to do in a spiritual life. We just have to stop. You know, sometimes I think that, um, and I, I, a term popped in my head, uh, an old uh, term, but the soft bigotry of low expectations. Mm -hmm. I think that we would put that on people, but I think especially youth, that listen, if we take this too seriously, Right. And if we and if we talk the truth too much or if we, you know, in, you know, talk about you need to go to confession, you need to follow Ten Commandments. If we do that, that um, that we're going to lose them. And I, I, I just don't agree with that. I, I, instead, I think it's the opposite, that that we want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves and we want to be a part of. Uh, making ourselves the best version of ourselves we can possibly be, and we want we want to be a part of something that truly matters in our lives. And I think uh, to me that's why we're seeing such a fallout in the church right now is that we've been doing this soft bigotry of low expectations on our laity for decades now. Where no, we're not gonna we're not gonna talk about anything real serious here. We're not gonna have a serious liturgy. Okay, uh, we're not going to do anything too seriously because you can't handle it. Okay, you can't handle the truth, right? <laughs> but, <laughs> I was thinking the same statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, 
but no, and, and I think it's been an abysmal failure. Yeah. And 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 we're actually seeing in those places that have scrapped that that idea and gone with, you know, a reverent liturgy, a serious mass, along with serious talk about what we're called to be in this world as Catholic Christians, um, that then people are like, their heart starts pounding and they're going, okay, okay, I want to be a part of that. Now it just popped in my head too, is that, that you know, when war breaks out, all those heroes that get in those enlistment lines mm. and and say, I'm in, I'm going, I'm going. Why? Because something serious beyond me is happening yeah. here. And I want to be a part of that. I want I want to enlist in that. And I I, I don't know. It's what what is it? Uh, so, oh, I lost the expression, but uh, it's 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 uh, advocating to our better angels or whatever it is that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But uh, so I I don't know. What, what do you think about that, David? You know, the, have we been practicing that where we our our expectations are just so low? with people that they can't handle the truth. They can't handle the sacred. Is it, What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree, Father. And I think it's been going on, I would, I would even say at least in one aspect, maybe over a thousand years in the Catholic Church. I think we are largely responsible for that. I would say this piece, that for about a thousand years, our church has been weakening the standards for mm -hmm. watering down the standards for fasting, right? Um, you know, it used to be you had to fast for maybe 24 hours before mass. And now I think right. for the last 50 years has been um, um, just an hour before communion. So um, so this has been going on. Really, we, we used to have so many fasts in the church. So what fasting does, it increases discipline. And I think that's one thing that the world is lacking today, discipline. So if we can recover that piece right there, of how to be a disciplined people, um, I think we'll go a long way to what other things we're talking about, like taking time, taking attention, um, being detailed in what we do in worship. It all, it's, it's all about discipline, being disciplined towards the right, right. thing. And so I think um, creating a culture of more fasting, I think we'll go a long way with that as well. Yes. I'd like to throw this out. I know we, we, we've we got to get to your Father Helna piece. Uh, we've got to get to the comedy part of this. Um, but I also would like to throw out, um, can we can we elevate the sacred space of the church by not talking after mass in the body of the church? I, I mean, I, I've done this. I know I've talked before and I, I try to catch myself. But I also know that after mass, you know, you know, myself and, and you know, others who, you know, you want to pray some prayer of Thanksgiving, you want to spend a few minutes. And then sometimes people will, stand there in the main aisle and they'll just gab, 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 talk, talk, talk. And, and I'm not putting people down. I'm not judging people. Don't anybody think I got an ax to grind, but it's just one of those moments where you'd still like to have the space be recognized as, as sacred. Let's just kind of not talk in the church if we don't have to, or if we do lower the voices. And if we see people praying, maybe we could step to the back, especially if it's just casual conversation. Um, I think just think it's a good idea. To do that out of respect, of course, for the Blessed Sacrament, for the sacred space, and for other people who might be praying in there. So that's my very nice way of saying it. I don't always feel that way when people are talking, but I know they probably felt that way about me when I've talked in the past. So I apologize for anybody that I talked when I was talking to the church when you were there praying. Uh, but also, I'm curious if we could get your take on this, David. And then, Father, your, your position, too, as a priest. But, David, what do you think we lay people can do to help elevate? Let's What's some actionable things we can do? in our parishes 
Because I know some people are listening and watching right now, and they're thinking, oh, this all sounds great. Elevate, better music, sacred music, uh, sacred space, um, not talking after mass, um, and so forth and so forth. What can the lay, average layperson do to present to the pastor or to present to other people? Uh, maybe try to get uh, adoration started. In fact, what are your thoughts on how we can try to be actionable to, in our parishes, elevate and move more towards a reverent uh, everything that we're talking about here? I would say a couple of things. I like the adoration piece. Uh, I'll leave that to you guys to talk about. But I think silence or, or there's a couple of things you can ask pastor, ask father for your pastor, your pastor at your church. One, at least if the choir, sometimes choirs like to practice. Okay, but let's, let's agree that 10, 15 minutes before mass start, let's allow people to get into the worship space. So 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes before mass, no noise. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you can maybe make an announcement, you know, somebody, whoever, who does announcements, maybe in your parish can announce, okay, now silence your cell phone. Sometimes we do the whole cell phone thing right before the procession starts. No, let's, let's do it 10 minutes before, 10, 15 minutes before the mass even begins. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, ask father for um, even to, even with the lectors, before they say the word of God, um, uh, uh, before they, they say that final acclamation, five seconds of silence before they say, this is the word of the Lord, just mm -hmm. five seconds. And then also after the homily, just ask father just for maybe five minutes or, or so, three minutes, just after the homily, just mm -hmm. silence. So these spaces that if you look at the general structure of the Roman Missal, it says everything I just said. It says these are the times where there should be silence in the mass, but we just ignore the general instruction of the Roman Missal. And just we just want to make all this noise and go from one part to the other, you know, and just run it all together like throwing a bunch of um, food together on a plate, just mix it all together. And yeah. so without silence, without food being separated on our plate, we don't know what it is. What well, I mean, mashed potatoes, greens, what what is this? It's just, you know, it's just a mishmash. So we, we need that separation to distinguish and, and to prepare ourselves for what's going on. You know, I think there's about there's something about the art of slowing down that in general we we should all consider and pray about. But I like what you said, David, especially at mass. And I know there are people probably sitting there. And Father, I'm always curious, do priests look out and see in the congregation people looking at their watches, wondering when you're going to get done with the homily and move? I mean, is that common? You know what? I try to look at God. <laughs> <laughs> it gets to be very kind again. Good for you, Father. No, no, there are times I, you know, obviously when I'm preaching that I'm looking at, at people, but yeah, yeah when, I'm when I'm praying words that are meant to be prayed to God, I... Right. I, I tell people, you know, and that's that's my thing too. I love ad orientum, and uh, so I try to get us there wherever I go. But uh, but I, but one of the ways I explain it is, look at I'm looking at what I call my God spot that's behind you, you know. So I'm looking at something behind you instead of all of us together looking at God at, at one. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, that, that's a long way of saying I right. I don't really notice that. But here's what I notice though is what um, it, <laughs> I have PTSD about this, but I've had homilies where I've hit some hot button issues, or maybe even talked about reverence and people didn't like it. And they get up in the middle of your homily and walk out. Mm. So people, if you have to go to the bathroom, just wait until the homily's over, please, because it really ruffles father's feathers. <laughs> if you do that, <laughs> a lot of people do though. 
they have to go to the bathroom. I'm like, oh, good. They didn't leave the church. They just went to the restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. What was one of the first things you did at your last parish to, to start introducing kind of a shift in reverence? I love it. It was it was music, wasn't it? Was that yes, one of the first it was. Ones? Yeah, I, I had us uh, just choose the older hymns for sure, and then uh, let's explore things like polyphony. You know, mm -hmm. the many voices, this that kind of sacred music. It's just beautiful, and and if someone can do Gregorian chant, especially if you want to do someone have someone who does it well uh, as you introduce it to people, but all of that just elevates uh, our our soul to a, a, a heavenly realm, a sacred place. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I, I just think music is one of the more, more profound ways of predisposing our ourselves to that sense of God's presence in in, in that church. Mm -hmm. what, what, what do you think about that, David? What Music? Yeah, I loved everything you said. Yeah, I was just smiling when you said it because uh, my first experiences in the Catholic Mass was you know we didn't we didn't we didn't have music it was just so my first so first time i got a chance to experience the mass with music it felt kind of odd and weird and it still feels weird sometimes when the music is bad <laughs> right but when it's great when it's it's ancient or when yeah. it's um done well um it elevates the senses and there's nothing wrong yeah. with elevating the senses god gave us those senses for a reason you know to right. order those senses to, to him and so even in the emotion, you know, we order our emotions to him. So, um, this, so there are some songs that 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 we that I would hear in the mass. Um, I think "Oh Holy Spirit" was was one of them. It just I think we played that at our wedding. It's just, oh man, it's just it, it takes it it, it, ele it elevates. It, it yeah. becomes transcendent. It just elevates yeah. us yeah. into the divine, and is done well. It can add to your worship experience. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, All right, awesome. so look him up on YouTube, David L. Gray. Also, uh, everybody, remember we're doing the 54-Day Rosary Novena, so we started that by the time this is the, uh, you're seeing this podcast yesterday on the Feast of the Assumption. And uh, please join us anytime you want, but it's it, it's not only uh, praying the Rosary for 54 days with like 80 to 100,000 people, which that's powerful. Add your own petition. We've seen and had reported to us many miracles, but uh, but also we do what I call like a spiritual boot camp or a strength training uh, during that time where we hit some great topics and it's just a brief reflection, probably one or two minutes of reading and take some time to just think about these things. And, uh, and, and we do that throughout the 54 days. You can find out all you want about that at the usgraceforce.com. You could also go to rosarycoasttocoast.com, which that got that name because on... October 7th, on the 54th day, we're going to ask people to get out and pray together the rosary uh, all over the country. And you can actually go to Rosary Coast to Coast and put in uh, where your group is going to be because we have this cool map of the United States with all these balloon pins on it. And it's just inspiring to see. And then uh, we're going to be out in Washington, D.C. We call that the anchor. And uh, we're going to pray the Glorious Mysteries at 3 p.m. Central Time as a nation. And we're just praying, the, the, the uh, intention is, may the church and our country find hope as we unite at the foot of the cross. We're not divisive, we're uniters, but the place to unite isn't 10 feet or two blocks or three miles away from the cross, it's at the foot of the cross. 
doing the will of God, not the will of the world. And so, uh, so we want to just pray that we become stronger and we become a greater light and that more people are compelled to come and join us, to unite with us, or the followers of Jesus Christ at the foot of the cross. So, so please plan to join us. David, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, this is great. And uh, we got to have you back many times, but uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah Father, Father, real, real quick, I just want to see real quick. We'll have the link to David, your your YouTube channel, uh, in the description below for anybody who's listening audio or, or YouTube version here and or Rumble. And Father, all the links that you just talked about, um, Rosary Coast to Coast, uh, Novena for Our Nation, that's all going to be in there as well. So everybody, check out yep. the description for the links to these uh, these things that we've just been talking about. Awesome. All right, let's end with a prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray for a revival in the land. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the fire of your love. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Awesome. David, thank you so much. Thanks, well, Thank you.